Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Are you okay? I mean, if this is the world's okayest church, I want to make sure you're okay. You're okay with the fog in the air? You, it kind of looks like a, a bar. Of course, none of you have ever been in a bar. You're all so spiritual and so religious. Uh, you, you've never, no, you wouldn't know anything about a smoky bar. Actually, they don't, they're not smoky anymore, are they? How do you know? (laughs) I got you, didn't I? I got you. Well, I am super excited to be here today. Super excited. First of all, at my age, I'm excited to be anywhere. And with uh, Harry was not... One time when my uh, youngest daughter was about four years old, I told her something, and I, I, for, I forget what it was, but I just told her a fact, like, you know, whatever, something. And she, being four years old, it was kind of a story. I was explaining something about life to her, I guess. And it, was, it, it seemed a little bit unbelievable to her. Now, she's four, been in lots of services, and she said, Daddy, is that the truth, or are you just preaching? I said, what? <laughs> I tell the truth when I preach. She said, oh, okay. Like, I didn't know that. I thought you just made that stuff up. <laughs> so I want to tell you, Harry was not exaggerating when he talked about two years being 20 years worth of experience. Uh, it's, it's true. Uh, here, in fact, here's the answer. Here's another backside of that story. I've had 15 travel assistants, 15. None of them lasted more than two years because at the end of two years, they were toasted and roasted. (laughs) Uh, And it was always interesting to me. They would just come to me and all of them still loved me. They would say, Pastor, I am wore out. And these are young kids. Harry, how old were you? 24 to 26. And I, I would have be, been in my 50s. I said, what is wrong? You're, I'm, you're, you're half my age. I don't know. <laughs> I am, I'm burned out. It was a lot. And uh, now actually two of my travel assistants are now pastoring in Austin. Did, did you know that, Harry? I think Jeannie made sure you guys found out. Brian Larson, who was, uh, was he the travel assistant before you? Yep. So when Brian got wore out, Harry took over. It's kind of like a relay race. <laughs> uh, right now, let me show you my travel assistant. Come here, son. This is my travel assistant. Right. So I'm starting them out young. His name is Braxton McFarland, and this is, I have, uh, I have four grandchildren, two that are like step-grandchildren, 
17, oh, uh, eight, Kristen just turned 18, oh, Caitlin just turned 18, and Kristen is 15, I think. And, is that right? I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> uh, Brooklyn is 11, and Braxton is, Braxton is six. Six? Oh, I'm sorry, I got it turned upside down. Nine. We don't want to forget about that. But Braxton and I, uh, I, we hadn't done this ever. He's just now old enough. We just came back. If we look a little little ragged and my beard's a little long, I didn't take time to really shave good, but uh, we've been out in the woods of the hill country doing what guys like to do. How many of you know what that is? Hunting. Now, I don't want anybody to get upset. We did not shoot Bambi or Bambi's dad, but it's only because I missed. <laughs> I only had one good shot. Tell them how many deer we saw that one day. 25. Say it. 25. 25 deer. Couldn't get a good shot at any of them. <laughs> I tell you how good. I'm a, I hope I'm a better preacher than a hunter. But anyway, Braxton, my grandson, I, had three, I have three, four grandchildren, three daughters, and then finally I got me a buddy, my grandson. And we, we got to spend some good time, quality time together. Just there were, where we were, there was no cell phone signal. <laughs> there was no TVs. <laughs> there was a phone, and it didn't work. So we were out there, and it was just me and him, and all we could do is talk and have fun. Uh, so if you see Braxton at the book table out there, you say hi to him. And, uh, we, we did manage to shoot one thing. You want to tell him? A squirrel. A squirrel. I shot him with a big caliber hunting rifle. <laughs> that tells you I'm a good aim. But there wasn't much left of that squirrel. We had to, we skinned him and kept what we could to bring home to show him we're at least up, we can do that. But give Braxton a hand, would you? Be sweet to him. Thank you, buddy. So, wow, you guys are going to have to have start another service. You know that. Look around and say we're we're going to have two services before very long. Tell, tell somebody that, so get it in your head, be, be okay with it. In fact, you may have two services before the, before the light switch works. Uh, I love Harry and Rose's approach of we're, we're okay with the imperfections of where we are because perfection is a process. And I got some news for you. It will never be achieved. There will always be something that goes wrong. You know why? We live in a fallen world and things don't always work. When Christ returns, everything will work like he intended it to. Animosities will be gone. The Bible says that the lion will lay down with the lamb. Wouldn't that be great? No more fighting and fussing. In fact, that brings up what I want to speak to you about, I'm, I'm actually going back into the 90s because where we are as a nation right now, where the world is, I continue to preach overseas and I don't know, Harry needs to figure out how many countries he went to. I've preached in 70 nations now 
and I spend 60 or 70% of my time outside of the U.S. So something like 40 to 30% of my time, I'm, I'm in places where you guys are, and actually the, the money you contribute is what helps me go to those other places. Um, Indonesia is a big place for me right now. I go through seasons where I have sons and daughters now. I've been doing this, and now I have sons and daughters around the world that uh, are doing amazing uh, church that looks to me as their oversight in Paris, France. Did you did you ever go with me to Paris, or was that after your turn, Harry? No, never, Paris. never Paris. You want to go? I'll I'll hire you for one trip. <laughs> Only if you bring Roe. <laughs> Got you. Um, great church, fifteen thousand people in Paris, in Ukraine, in the Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, the church is 22,000. The reason we know it's that number, they rent the biggest arena in the city every Sunday, and that's all they can get in. Uh, it's amazing, and I could tell you story after story of places and things and people. And uh, I love, I love uh, pulling somebody close, showing them how it works, and releasing them and let it go. And I actually think that's a lot of why my, I had two-year limits. <laughs> uh, the other reason is I had a rule that if you first, if you're newly married, you could not be my travel assistant because you're going to be gone too much. And that's not healthy for a young marriage. Uh, my wife and I have been married 42 years. So, and, and actually, my wife controls my schedule. Do you know why? She likes to tell me where to go. <laughs> yeah, she does. Uh, so uh, if I'm not home, it's her fault. <laughs> so if, if, if I miss an event or a birthday or something, that she's, she has to be okay with it and she's waited and she know, and actually that's just, there's real safety there. She knows when I'm tired, she knows when I'm weak, she knows when I'm, 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 I need to be home, and uh, actually, she canceled last Sunday. I don't know if you knew, I was supposed to be here last Sunday, and somewhere else today, but we moved it because I had a demonic encounter with a dentist. <laughs> I have theology that dentists are not going to heaven. <laughs> Anybody agree with that theology? You know why? They lie. They lie. They always say, this won't hurt. <laughs> and you're, it kills you. I cracked a molar, and it was one that they had to put me half. They said, we're not putting you all the way asleep, just putting you halfway asleep. <laughs> I said, brother, I'm going to hit you as hard as I can if I'm hurting. And you will know you need to give me more whatever that stuff is. Uh, it, it came out in pieces. It was oral surgery, and man, did it. Dentists are not going to heaven. I'm sorry. If you think I'm, I need inner healing. Just pray for me, and you know, if you're a dentist, you come to the altar today, and after you repent, then you can pray for me for my hard feelings. Amen. So, 
I'm going back into the 90s today to pull out a theme that I wrote about. Uh, and the reason I'm doing this is, uh, first of all, this has been, you know, I've been, I was secreted away. I didn't know any news, knew nothing about what was happening until we kind of got into the world last night as we arrived in Austin and I started catching up on some of the news. Wow, what a week our nation has had. I want to publicly make a statement that hatred of any sort is worse than a dentist. That's bad, isn't it? And there is a spirit of division that has attacked the United States, trying to divide people and using all kinds of arguments, but at the bottom of it, it's division. It's disunity. And one of the reasons why we as a nation get attacked by those kind of forces that try to create disunity is because we call ourselves what? The what? The United States of America. So the moment you declare something, the enemy says, that's what I'm going to attack. And we were declared as the United States of America, but in 1863, I believe it is, we embarked on the most uh, ill-advised, horrible war that our nation has ever fought, and we fought against ourselves. To give you a comparison, now you know how much in news media has covered uh, the, our, our, our attacks and our fights in the Middle East and Iraq and Afghanistan. And that's been going on, it's coming up on, it's like over 12 years now, uh, coming up on 15 maybe. And in that time period, we've lost approximately, I don't know the exact number, but approximately 4,000 soldiers. And that's, that's I mean, uh, that's caused political upheaval. People have uh, been voted out of office. People have been voted into office, all because of the, the horrible cost of us having to fight terror and, and the events that happened after 9-11. Um, but in the end, we stayed united. In 1863, the war started the North against the South, and there was over... 500,000 casualties. I want you to put those two figures. When we fought against ourselves, half a million. When we're fighting against terror, it's been 4,000. Either one is extremely high price to pay. But just put that in perspective. And, uh, I don't want anything like that to happen again. Uh, and some, somewhere back in, well, let me look at this book. I'm actually using one of my books as notes for today. That's legal for me to do, because I wrote it. Uh, I'm gonna look at the date when this was published. 2000, so, and the book that preceded it was probably like 1998. And I was, I had a, a passion for unity 
in the body of Christ. And it's time for some more of that medicine. Would you agree? So that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. I'm going to talk to you about unity. I'm not going to, I'm not going to exhaust my resources about it on you because I wound up writing three books. I, I, I think it's either two or three. I can't remember. I've written 38 books and I can't even name them all right now. And you don't you look at me like, well, he, what's the matter with him? You can't name your children in the right order. Is that right? You call people, my daughters, I, I always call them, what, what is there? There's like a short in your brain that happens. You look at one and you call them the other name. But um, I think I wrote three books about unity. And if I were to sort of uh, preach to you about unity, well, we'd be here for a while. But I'm going to pick an important part of that out, and I'm going to share that with you, okay? So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to John 17, and I'm just going to use that as a launching point and uh, give you some, some insight there, okay? You got it? John chapter 17. And by the way, let me, uh, Braxton's going to be out there with the books. If you haven't read God Chasers, we brought some. It's, it's hitting a, it, I don't know how many of this book has been sold, but maybe if you count all the different, it's, been, it's in 40, 40 different languages also. And in the U.S., it's probably close to 4 million now. Uh, and overseas, I don't know, it could be 10 million. I really have no idea. We don't keep, I'm not trying to keep score. I'm not competing with anybody. It's even been pirated I got to Nigeria and found out my book had been printed there. I knew nothing about it. Somebody photocopied it, made a book out of it, and I said, okay, more power to you. The word's getting out. But if you've never read anything I've written, this might be a good place to start. I don't know how, how is there very many of these? Or, there's a few? Okay. So here, Braxton, you're my assistant. You take that for me. Uh, for the first few of you that buy it, my wife sent along a music video from One Night with the King. Anybody saw that movie? You did? Okay. That was based on one of the books I wrote. That's back about 2005. Some of you were just kids then. You knew nothing about all this. But uh, uh, our partner was 20th Century Fox. You weren't working for me then, or were you? Okay, you were there when, when the movie was made. Wow. Yeah, Dallas, we, we, it, then you do know a lot. So, but the movie was great fun. It's, it's a, turned into a classic now. People, it's, it's all over the world. I, I do not go anywhere in the world that this movie is not already there. Usually pirated. I was in Hong Kong in, a, in like a, a market one day and saw a copy of my movie, picked it up, and it had been overdubbed in... 11 different languages and I said oh and by the way it cost me two dollars to buy my own movie and somebody had done all the hard work of overdubbing it and were selling it and I said okay the message is getting out so uh, whether by pirates or whether by preachers it's, it's gonna go but there's only a few of those first five or six books that get sold you can have that copy uh, the other thing um, 
we have been we have been enduring a spate of school shootings. You, how many of you know that? It's a deal right now. As a church, we cannot hide our head in the sand and pretend that things don't happen. We have to acknowledge it. Uh, in my opinion, ground zero for the school shootings was Columbine. Anybody remember Columbine? Hold your hand up. How could some of you remember it? It happened before you were born. You look so young. But a friend of mine, in fact, a pastor friend, his daughter was, I'm going to say, martyred in Columbine. And afterwards, they found in her diary where she had somewhat predicted that something was going to happen to her. And that she had, anyway, it's, it's a powerful story. It may help you put some things into perspective. I did not write this. Now, I'm happy. If I'm out there, I'll sign. I'll autograph anything. But don't hand me this to autograph. But this is an incredible book. Another pastor friend of mine wrote it. And they said, would you, would you just look, read, wrote it about the other pastor whose daughter was murdered. And he said, would you just read this manuscript? And I know, I'll never forget, I was on a flight from the West Coast to the East Coast and sitting in the, in the, on the plane reading this, just it's in a three-ring binder in the manuscript, and I was weeping so much that the people around me said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, because this is, this is powerful. It puts things in perspective. It's called The Martyr's Torch, and it's the message of Columbine. So uh, it... If, if, if you want that, they got it. So John 17, you got it? Uh, John 17 is an interesting chapter. Uh, I don't know if you have... Uh, well, I, I use the, the U version to preach and read from. How, how many of you use U version? Okay. Whether you have a Bible, whether you are... Apple or Android or old-fashioned with a gold leaf on the side. Some Bibles have everything that Jesus says in the New Testament. It's written in red. I don't know. Does your Bible do that? Or does your app do that? Yes. Some, some apps do. Some don't. It's okay. It's not, it's not a, you're not a sinner if it doesn't. But I just want to point out that if, if yours is one of those that shows what Jesus says in red, then if you look at John 17, as I scroll all the way down to the end, everything is in red. These, these are not something where someone talks about Jesus. These are words that Jesus says himself. The only thing that's not in red is a portion of the first verse. I want to read what's not in red, and then I want to read from the red. And what's not in red, it says, Jesus spoke these words. So it's going to tell us that everything else is in red. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, and then he starts, this is a prayer. The whole, the whole chapter is a prayer that Jesus prays. And in fact, it is the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus. 
it's, um, what is it, 30, no, not 30, 26 verses long. That's the longest recorded prayer. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily the longest prayer that he prayed. I think that he, when he, the Bible said he often prayed privately. Nobody heard it. But this prayer, he prayed publicly. And he was actually praying over his disciples. Because Jesus was having some disciple problems. If you ever get, um, if you ever get s sort of dismayed and uh, you get to feeling bad about, I, I can't do this Christian thing, I'm not very good at it, I keep messing up. If you ever get discouraged about being a disciple, you need to reread the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And notice how many mistakes and how many different things and how many fights and squabbles and misunderstandings. One time when children were being attracted to Jesus, they wanted to chase him away. <laughs> Who would do that? Duh, some disciples. So if you ever get discouraged about being a disciple, reread these gospels because they were not perfect. Not right. They would be over there when Jesus needed them to be over here. They would go to sleep when he wanted them to be awake. <laughs> does that make anybody that makes me feel better about my imperfections? Does that does that make you feel better? To know that the twelve that he chose, I mean Sometimes Jesus just would say, oh, help me, Lord. <laughs> this is a prayer that he... Pr I, I want to explain something to you. Uh, to understand the difference in a prayer that you pray privately and one that you pray publicly, it, it's okay that they're different. Some people would say, oh, no, what you pray privately, you have to pray the same thing publicly. No. Because I talk to God about things that you, it is none of your business. Amen? But when I pray publicly, I might pray differently. You agree? So Jesus is praying this prayer publicly. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, one time when I was a small boy, I misbehaved. Well, that, that didn't come out right. Uh, one particular time. There you go. Now, I'm not just preaching. I'm telling the truth. One particular time, I, I misbehaved. I don't, I, to be honest, I don't remember what it was I did. I just know that I was playing in the backyard with some of my buddies. And my dad stepped out on the back porch. And he called me by both names. Tom Gregory. How many of you know when your parents call you by both names? It's trouble. Was that... Is that the way in anybody else growing up? You, Tom Gregory, get in this house. My buddies all looked at me like, uh-oh, you're dead, dude. <laughs> I walked in the house with that kind of hangdog look. And my dad, I, I'll never forget, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I was afraid of what he was going to do to me. And he started lecturing me, you know, normal parent stuff. My dad was a pastor, a preacher, but that didn't matter. Uh, he, was, he had no mercy on me growing up. I was supposed to do what was right. 
uh, he lectured me. What, why did you do You know what? Can I, can I tell you something? If you're a parent, when you ask kids why did they do something, and they say, I don't know, they're telling the truth. Because they're clueless. <laughs> they're little kids. They just do stuff. Why did you do I don't know. It was there. And, and it was one of those kind of moments. Why did you, I, don't, I don't know. What am I going to do with you, son? I've told you over and over and over. He said, I know what. I know what. Come in. My dad had a study. He had, had an office, what he called at the church, there was an office. But at the house, his office, he called a study because that's where he went in to, to study, to prepare. And he said, come in my study. Now, normally the study was the place of all executions. All beheadings, all, you know, that all happened in the study. I knew. I was like a man walking to the gallows. And come into my study. So he came in, I got in there, and he said, this is what I'm going to do. I thought, oh, God, here it comes. He pulled a chair. Uh, can you hand me in one of those chairs? Just, he pulled a chair up. And he said, this is what you got to do. He set this chair down. He said, I want you to kneel down on that side of the chair. I thought, this is really going to take my head off. This is it. He said, you kneel down. And he said, I'm going to kneel down on this side of the chair. I'm, th I'm starting to get confused because this, what's going on here? And he said, I cannot make you pray, but I can make you kneel. And you have to stay kneeling there for as long as I'm praying here. I knew my day was over. <laughs> because my dad prayed like he enjoyed it. <laughs> he prayed like he was talking to one of his friends and they could talk for hours. I know, because I would, I would I'd, I'd be in the house playing, and he'd be in the study just praying. Now, my dad didn't stomp and jump around and, and yell and scream. He actually just was like having a conversation with God. Oh, God, I'll tell you about this, and what about that? And how do you think about that? And he'd be quiet for a few minutes. Do you know prayer should be at least half listening? If all you're trying to do is talking, you're, you're not doing it right. Because you've got to close your mouth to listen. So some time should be spent in contemplative and meditating and just opening your mind. And you, you know what? Don't think that the thoughts that come to you when you're in prayer are from the devil. Because God does not allow that to happen. When, you, when thoughts come to you in prayer, it's usually God giving you a message. So open your mind to that. But I knew that my dad loved praying. I would go to bed at night and he had a rocking chair that he liked to sit in to rock and it squeaked. And my lullaby every night growing up was my dad praying. And I would hear him pray. I have that rocking chair now. It's an old squeaky rocking chair. And uh, makes me cry a little bit because I lost my dad three months ago. Uh, three and a half months ago actually. Uh, he, was, he was a great man, but on this day, he was a horrible, <laughs> terrible, mean father, or so I thought. 
And I knew that when he got ready to pray, because I knew, so I just actually laid my head down and got ready for a nap, because, <laughs> and my dad started praying. I could hear him. He lifted up his voice. He said, oh God, I don't know what to do with this boy. So God, you can just take him back. <laughs> I open my eyes. What do you mean, take me back? <laughs> and God, I would rather you take him now while he's young than for him to grow up and bring disrepute to your name. Oh, I said, God, because that's a problem. Because when my dad prayed, things happened. <laughs> And he started proceeding to give God ideas about how he could take me. God, I don't know. I don't know how it'll happen. It could be a car wreck. I could, he could fall off of something, but I don't know, God. I, I just, I've tried. I've done my best. I, I don't know what to do. I'm eight years old, okay? Around eight, something around eight. I don't know what to do. And so you, you, you just have to take him. I, 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 I have reached... I know that all parents reach their limits at some point. Any parent in here want to say amen to that? Amen. And you may pray a prayer somewhat similar to that. God, I don't know what to do with this child. You, you, you're going to have to do something. But I, I can't. We all get frustrated as parents. I know. I, I have three children, all girls, and it hasn't always been smooth sailing with that. But my dad started praying and... I mean, he was seriously praying. His eyes were closed. And I thought, oh my God, I could get struck by lightning. And I, and I, I started crying. And then I decided, I better send up some competing prayers. <laughs> and I started saying, no, God, no, I'm sorry. Oh, I will never do that again. Oh, forgive me, Lord. I'm going to be a good boy. I'm, and all of a sudden, I don't hear my dad. He's not praying. And I look up, and he's walked away. And I said, Dad, come back. Undo that. He said, no, you're doing just fine right there. You're the one that has to undo it. And he left me to pray. Now, I wanted to tell you that story to give you a difference. I'm sure that in private, my dad prayed his frustrations over raising kids because it's, it's always that way. But that day, that was not a private prayer. How many of you understand that my dad wanted me to hear that? He wanted me to hear it. So I want you to understand John 17 in that same context. Jesus was praying publicly over his disciples. That's who was in the room. The 12, let's call them dumbbells. <laughs> Do you know that right before Jesus prayed, they had been fighting, arguing over who's going to be first? In fact, they were arguing about who was going to sit next to Jesus at the dinner. Arguing. And, and if they had only known that, like, that night Jesus was going to be captured, and less than two days later, 
he would be crucified. And they're arguing about who's on one side and who's on the other side. If they had only known that two days later, one side was a man on a cross and the other side was a man on a cross, maybe they wouldn't have argued about who's going to be beside Jesus. They didn't understand. They had been fighting. One of them, their mother, they're grown men. And their mother had been advocating for them. They were, there was disunity among Jesus' disciples. And the reason I know that is a very simple concept. And it's this. Listen to me. If we were able to eavesdrop on your private prayers, what you're praying in private, I think we would be able to put our finger on the biggest problem that you're dealing with at the moment. Is that true? Yes. If we just, you know, we could just set up a little bug and, and, and listen to you, whether it's in your car or it's at home or wherever it might be. If we were able to listen to you pray privately, I think we would know what the problem of the moment is. What might be health, it might be finances, it might be relationships, it might be a lot of things. But whatever it would be, we would know what it was. So using that concept of what was Jesus' biggest problem, we can tell by what he prayed the most in this longest recorded prayer. So I've studied it, and I'm gonna, I want to show you I want to show you about five, maybe six verses that we're going to lift from there. And they all say the same thing. So that means in this prayer, Jesus prayed about six times for one particular problem. Do you know what that problem was? Disunity. Division. Discord. Problems. He's virtually at the end. Do you know that this prayer was prayed at what we call the Last Supper? We call it the Last Supper because that's the last time that Jesus was able to meet with his disciples in a group before he was crucified. Now here's what's interesting about that. We call it the Last Supper because we can look back and historically we know about it, but the disciples did not know that it was the Last Supper. To them, it was just another supper. They had no concept of how close to the culmination and the end of Jesus. Jesus had been teaching. He had been telling them. He had even been telling them, my kingdom is coming. It's close. And a lot of them thought it was going to be a physical kingdom where he was going to overthrow the Romans and he would become king. At One of his disciples even carried a sword. I don't know where that originated, but I mean, I got a pocket knife. I hope that's all right. But uh, I, I, he, he had a sword. I don't know, maybe when Jesus preached, one time early in Jesus' ministry, he, he actually preached and he said, if you don't have a sword, get a sword. But it was just a, a, an illustration. He was trying to, talk, he was talking about spiritual warfare. And it's more like, you know, become aggressive in things of the spirit. But the disciple says, cool. 
he shows up next Sunday with a sword. Can you imagine that? All the other disciples just saying, Jesus. You see, yeah, it's him again. He was the firebrand, the instigator, the one. He, he was mercurial. He would vacillate from this way. He, but after Jesus' death, he lied, and then he was, he, he, was, he was either hot or cold. There was no in-between with Peter. He was either doing what was absolutely right, or he was just messing everything up. He got the sword. I don't know what Jesus said about the sword. Maybe he said, look, leave him alone. Maybe he won't hurt anybody. I do know that he never got a chance to use it until this very night. When after Jesus was arrested, after Jesus prays this public prayer, he goes to the grove of olive trees and he prays privately. And he asks them, stay awake. They couldn't stay awake. He asked three of them, okay, come on, you're just you three. You, you, Peter, James, and John. That one is his brother. John is the one who's writing this. Peter, that's the sword guy. Can you just come over here a little bit away from these guys? You pray right here. I'm going to go over here. He's praying privately because he knows it's coming. And it was during that prayer that they came and took him captive. And that very night, Peter pulled out his sword and whacked off a guy's ear. <laughs> come on. I've never heard of two protagonists with a sword, in a sword fight saying, hold still, sir. I only want to cut off your ear. <laughs> Come on, get real. Do you think he was trying to just cut off the guy's ear? No, he was seriously swinging to take the guy's neck off. And the guy ducked and lost an ear. And Jesus is standing there. <sighs> Now, we know from history that he put the guy's ear back on. But what did he have to do first? Peter, look, put it up. He didn't say throw it away. He just said put it up. Put it up. It's like you got a bleeding man howling with his ear on the ground, holding where his ear used to be. Ow, 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 ow. Then Jesus standing there and a grinning disciple with a bloody sword thinking, I finally got to use it. <laughs> Revival! And Jesus said to him, Jesus, the first thing you would think is he'd go to the man that's wounded. But the first thing he did was tell Peter, put up the sword. Peter, look, we just came from a supper where I washed your feet. The sword is not the symbol of my kingdom. The towel is. Servanthood. Put the sword up. Swords dismember. Swords cut off. They dismember. Jesus said, I put things back together. Before he could put things back together for the wounded man, he had to stop the disciple from causing any more division. From dividing somebody's uh, arm from their body. And I sometimes think <coughs> that Jesus is doing the same thing. He is still having to talk more to his disciples about division than he's talking to the world about let me heal you. He has to first talk to us so we stop our sword swinging and stop our division and stop our discord and become a unified body.
And then he says, I can talk to the world. I can talk to the people. Even our in he, I will heal my enemies. But I cannot do anything when I'm dealing with discord from the disciples. So Peter, you put that up first, and then I'll do the miracle. Sometimes we don't see miracles because we still have discord and division in our hearts. I'm preaching today to reveal that to you so that you can say, that's not what City Chapel is. That's not who we are. That's not who I am. I am unity, not division. So Jesus, in this prayer, and some of you are thinking, my God, he's just now reading his text. How long are we going to be here? Well, I often preach differently. I don't read a text and preach from it. I take a text and I preach to it. So that by the time I read that, you have an understanding of what we're reading. So now, I want to show you something in John chapter 17. The pressure of the Last Supper. Jesus knows they don't know. Discord among his disciples. Watch this. Look at verse 11. Would you look at it? verse 11? This is the first thing. Remember, I'm pulling out about four or five verses for you to understand what he's probably... Uh, you got me? So I want you to count with me how many times Jesus uses the word one. All right? Will you do that? So you, you count with me. How many times he uses the word one? In verse 11, he said... He's praying. He said, now I'm no longer in the world. In other words, I'm, I'm going to be gone. But these are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. And he says, Holy Father. And that's where, this is where Jesus really gets into the prayer. Holy Father. Oh, they got it up there. Good. Holy Father. Uh, I'm reading from New King, New, King, New King. I'm not sure what that one is, but no, that's good. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me, we were just singing that song, and that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Hold up two fingers. Help me count. That's twice already. Uh, now we're going to skip down to verse 20. Verse 20. And he said, I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, I'm not just praying for these 12 guys that are here. I realize this problem that I'm praying about is going to be an ongoing problem. So I'm, I'm also praying for those who will believe in me because of what these 12... You know who he's talking about? That's us. And he said... I pray not for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Come on, help me. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me. In other words, we think if we could perform more miracles, the world will believe we are from God. But Jesus is saying that unity is what will give and send a message 
through our community that we are truly of God because there's no disunity. We are a loving church. City Chapel is going to be a loving and an embracing church to everybody. Hold up four fingers. Let's see, what verse am I on? 23, uh, 22, sorry. That the, and the glory that you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Oh, you don't have that verse up there. Some translations, that last one, that, what is that, number seven? That last one is translated like this, that they may be perfect in unity. Sometimes it's translated that way. You know, Maybe in the, in, the, in the version that they're posting up there. But that's seven times. And if it's, a, if it's a version that says unity, you can count that as seven times. So Jesus mentions this one problem, seven, everybody say seven. Seven, seven times in one short prayer. I think we have just put our finger on the biggest problem that he was dealing with. And I think that we can put our finger on the biggest problem that we as a nation are dealing with. Unity. Discord. If you don't believe me, murders, bombs. The last three days that I was in the boonies and I come back and there's shootings in synagogues with people screaming anti-Jewish slogans and 11 are killed. Whereas a guy in... Uh, I forget where he was, tried to break into a black church, couldn't get in because they locked the doors. I hope somebody's got the doors locked. So he went to Kroger's and shot two black people. I want you to know that I stand against that kind of action. And that you as a church, I know Harry and I know who you are, but sometimes we just have to state who we are and where we stand. And hate has no place here. Come on, say it with me. Hate has no place here. Say it again. Hate has no place here. Why? Because we are unified we, when Jesus, at the end of this supper, they hadn't washed one another's feet. They were so proud. That it's like, no, I don't do that. Because they walked on dirty roads. They didn't walk on concrete and asphalt. And the roads they walked on, they, they had sandals, not boots like I have and cool shoes. Hey, I buttoned my top button trying to look cool like Harry today. <laughs> they don't have cool shoes like Harry. They wore sandals. And they walked in the roads. Now listen, and their vehicles of conveyance were not trucks and cars or buses. It's animals, donkeys, horses, oxen, camel. I mean, and, and the form of pollution that we live, to, in, to, that live with today drifts up in puffs of smoke. The pollution that they dealt with in those days did not drift up. It fell down. Come on, don't make me have to describe that. I promised my wife I wouldn't cuss anymore. 
When I turned 60, I, something happened. I just started calling things like they were because I'm 60 and you have to listen to me. I'm 62 now, so I, you really got to listen to me. The, 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 the animal dung, there you go, fell down. And imagine, just, just say 10 years, only 10 years of accumulated animal traffic on those roads daily. Do you get the idea? The roads they walk on are like barnyards. They got animal dung on their feet. And Jesus, at the supper, the custom was you take your sandals off so you don't bring pollution in the house. And many Oriental, East, uh, Far Eastern cultures still do the same thing. They take their shoes off before they go in the house. And the reason is just you don't get... What was the word I used? Dung. There you go. Whew, that was close. Don't get animal dung in the house. The problem is, though, with sandals, it's not just on your sandals. It's where? It's on your feet. That normally, the lowest servant of the house was assigned the humiliating task of washing the animal dung off of the people coming into the house. But because this was camaraderie, there was no servant there, just the 12 disciples in an arranged dinner setting. Nobody washed feet. They, it, you could not, it was, it was taboo for you to wash your own feet because then you are the one that got that stuff on your hand, dung, thank you. Uh, but all of these disciples, can you imagine they're in a room and they got, besides just being men and some of them fishermen, their, their feet probably didn't smell very good. And beyond that, they got dung on their feet. I'm having a hard time today with that word. And they got a, but nobody did that. Why? Oh, well, I'm older than you. Uh, I did it last time. It's your turn now. No, or how about Jesus picked me before he picked you. Or I was at City Chapel before you came. Hello. Um, so I don't have to do some stuff. Anybody who's not willing to sweep the platform is not worthy to stand on it. Amen. I'm going to say that. Anybody that's not worthy and willing to sweep the stage upon which they'll stand is not worthy to stand on it. We all have to be servants and mutually submitted to one another. But those guys, I told you, he had a problem. They wouldn't wash one another's feet and they went through the whole supper. Can you imagine them? It, have you ever been in an enclosed space and smelled something that you knew was not right? <laughs> Come on, guys. And we all pretend like nothing happened. In the meantime, you, you can't breathe. Come on, be real with me. You're, you're, you're sitting there looking too religious. I'm, I'm done with that religious stuff. This is, this is life. And, and 
I one time went to eat a, eat a, eat a lunch at a house. I was preaching in Peoria, Illinois. Never, for, never forget it. Long before Harry and them came along. I don't, I don't think we had any children now. My oldest daughter's 35, so it's a long time ago. And I went to preach there. And, uh, it, that's that area of, that's where Caterpillar is. That's a huge farming area, and they grow corn. And so they said, uh, the pastor said, come on, we're going to go eat lunch with a farmer. I assumed it was a corn farmer. When we got there, I found out <laughs> it's not a corn farmer, he's a dairy farmer. I didn't, I'd never been around a dairy farm with 400 head of cows. But everything was okay. We were eating fresh food and vegetables. It was great. It was fine. It was fun. And so the windows, it was springtime. They had the, air, the AC off. It's a little further north than here. And they, they had just fresh air. And it was, man, it was, gonna, it was a great spring uh, day to eat lunch. And I, never, I didn't know any of these people. The pastor's the only one I knew. And there's several other people there. And I mean, the, 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 the lady of the house just keeps bringing tray after tray of different kind of foods, fresh corn, like I said, all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden, the wind shifted. Have you ever been downwind from a dairy barn with 400 head of cow? And there's a lot of poo-poo. Sorry, I forget. Yeah, I mean, mounds of it. And it came in that room. I could not breathe. My lungs rejected that air. They said, do not send that down here. We will cough it back up. And you were like going, but the, the old man, the farmer, he's just eating away. And he's asking, is this good? You like this? And you're saying, yup. In the meantime, you cannot taste the food. Because you're, all you can do is smell. You're, the hairs in your nose are curling. You are, it, it was so rancid. It almost brought tears to my eyes. And I looked at the pastor and he's making these awful faces like, whoo, man. Because I'm telling you, it was some more stinky. And the, the lady of the house walked back in with a tray of food and she said, oh my God, it stinks in here. And I wanted to shout hallelujah. <laughs> Somebody finally admitted the obvious. Sometimes as churches, we sit around with disunity in our midst and pretend like everything's okay. How's your food? How's your life going? Meantime, there's so much, the room stinks of pride and flesh and corruption because there's disunity. The lady of the house, she went and closed all the windows and turned on the AC. It was like heaven. You could taste the food again. You could breathe. And she said, I'm sorry about that. Some, the wind just shifted and we had to do something about it. And, I, and the old farmer, what? I didn't smell nothing. No, sir. Your nose has been burned up. <laughs> you, you, all the nerves that used to go to your nose, they're dead. They have been killed by toxic fumes. He didn't smell a thing, but we did. 
when the disciples were in that room, you, you had to know that their feet stunk. But they're pretending. How's the food? Everything okay? You know how they ate? They didn't sit on chairs to eat. They reclined on couches. That means your feet are close to somebody's nose. And you got animal excrement on your feet. And you're trying to eat. Everything's okay. Why? Because nobody would pick up the towel and become the servant. Jesus let it go on through the whole meal. But he had recognized the problem in the room. He walked in the room and he said, oh no. It wasn't just about animal dung on somebody's feet. That wasn't the problem. The problem was nobody would be humble. Nobody would take on the role of a servant. Because servanthood and submission, mutual submission to one another, where you submit your will and you say, how can I help you? When I go see a pastor, Harry was with me, and I didn't get to see him to tell him, but I normally ask pastors, how can I serve you? What do you, is there something you need me to preach about? You tell me, because I'm here to serve you. If you, cannot, if you cannot master mutual submission, your marriage will not last. Your friendships will not last. If you can't understand that sometimes you have to take the low road. If, those disciples, if one guy in that room has said, hey, I'll do it. I'll wash everybody's feet. That didn't, didn't bother me. I, I'm, I'm happy to do it. The room would have smelled better. But they went through the whole meal, and at the end of the meal, Jesus took off his outer garment, and he used it and as a towel to wash their feet. Can you imagine how they felt when he gets up and takes a bowl of water? And by the way, if you study that passage, the disciples did not know how to get to the room. <laughs> Duh. You know how to, they couldn't, they've been with him three and a half years. They can't even arrange for a dinner. Jesus had to make all the arrangements. And he said, look, I'm staying behind, but you go on ahead. He's given them time to, this, this is your own, your own. You're doing, when we went hunting the other day, I let Braxton stay in a deer stand by himself for, for a little while because it's, it's good. You're doing good. You're on your own. That's, that's how, how it goes. You're on your own. Now, can you get, get the dinner already? And I'm coming. The leader's coming. You guys, you know, at three and a half years, they could not do it. Nobody. Jesus said, okay, if you want to go find the room, the way you find the room is there will be a man that draws water from the well and you follow him. He's going to the house. Now you think, well, how do they know which man? Men did not normally draw water. They were a segregated society. The women drew the water. They drew the water in the morning for cooking, and they went back to the well and drew water in the evening for washing. That's, what, that's the way it went. And this was noonday, that's one thing, or, late, or early afternoon, that's maybe the beginning, but men never did it. So when they got there, there was only going to be one man. That Jesus had to like do a miracle to get a man to do something. You wives should have said, amen, hallelujah. He, he did a miracle.
a man did something like that. And he said, follow him. So do you know what that tells me? The water was already in the room. But there was no submission, no servanthood in the room. The tools were there, but the attitude wasn't. This church has all the tools to become an astounding success. Three and a half years, look at you. Look at you. Look, turn around, look. Look at you. You're doing good. Tell, tell somebody, we're doing good. Harry, you're doing good, son. Roe, you're doing good. Yeah, it's all right. Be proud. But if you want to move from good to great, you have all of the tools in the room to do it with. You just got to have the right attitude. And at the end of the meal, Jesus picked up the towel and he started washing the disciples' feet. They were humiliated. When he gets to Peter, duh, sword guy, you know what Peter said? You're not washing my feet. Do you know how Jesus replied? He said, if I don't wash your feet, you're not one of my disciples. Now, this is the end of his ministry. You go all the way back to the beginning. Jesus never, ever threatened to kick anybody out. Even when he knew that Judas was the traitor. But this is the first time and the only time that he threatened to kick somebody out. Peter said, you're not washing my feet. He said, then you're not going to be one of my disciples. If you cannot submit to what I'm doing, you can't be. Then Peter, I told you, he goes from hot, from cold to hot. He's just back to what, and he starts, oh, don't just wash my feet. Wash my face also. He said that. Wash my face too, Peter. You don't have animal doo-doo on your face. You only have it on your feet. <laughs> Some people try to be too spiritual. Oh, amen to that. Just be real. Just be real. So, so Jesus picks up the towel and he washes all their feet. And suddenly the room smells better. You want to change the temperature in your community? Start by changing the temperature in your church. Change it in your homes. Division tries to come to marriages because people are joined. Satan is always the master. of. He is the instigator of division in every instance. Whether it's a relationship, a marriage, he wants to destroy anything that smells like unity because unity is the basket into which God pours his power. It's not God's power, but it's the basket. If you have a little basket, you get a little power. If you have a big basket, a lot of unity, you get a lot of power. He cranks up the volume. He said, if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Start doing the math. That means three can put 100,000 to flight. That means four coming in unity can put a million to flight. That means five coming together can put a billion to flight. Uh, no, be a hundred million to flight. That means that six can put, no, so five can put 10 million. Sorry, Whew, I didn't practice my math this morning. Five can put 10 million little demons fleeing. 
Do you see what God's doing? He's cranking up your power in relationship to your unity. Six can put 10 million, um, six can put 100 million to, fly, to, to flight. Seven can put 1 billion. There, got it right. So it doesn't take much unity for God to die. What he's talking about, put to flight, he's talking about demonic powers. If you, you don't have to be the biggest church in town to have the biggest unity in town. Make your mind up that this is who we are and this is where we stand. That we are together. Amen? Yes. Say it with me. We are together. I want you to turn to somebody on one side and just tell them, I love you and there is nothing you can do about it. I love you. Now go to the other side and tell somebody, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Now come on, I want you to mean it. Yeah, give them a hug if you want to. Now turn around to somebody behind you and tell them, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. That's who we are. Come on. That's who we are. I hope I helped you today. I know I probably preached a little bit long. But man, this week when I found out all this stuff, I said somebody has to say something about it. We're not going to stick our head in the sands and pretend that a war against, that division is not trying to happen in our country. And it, that, that demon won't, will not stop at the country. It'll start in a, go to a city. It'll go from a city into your home. And we have to fight dis, disunity and division wherever we see it. And I believe you're going to do that. Amen. Did the word of God come alive in your heart today? To help you? Maybe Harry will let me come back sometime. All right. Let me, let me pray over you. Let me pray. Father, just like Jesus prayed over the disciples, this is an issue. This, this is an issue about submission and, and, and unity and servanthood and we here today we have made some statements we made statements to one another and now we're going to make a statement to heaven that we will be a unified group of believers that we will not allow this division and disunity that we will be servants everybody say servant we will be servants to one another because servanthood is the antidote to disunity. Servanthood is the prescription for unity. We, we, we pick up the towel. We lay down the sword. We're, we're, t we're not going to call. We're not going to make the statements that cause division. We're going to make statements that cause unity yes. to one another Forgive us for words we said to our families that created division. Forgive us for things we've said at our job that created division. We don't want to be known for that. Help us be 
the representative of heaven that brings unity because we love people and we serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll never forget something that my dear late father told me. Early in my ministry, he said, son, people are not an interruption to your business. They are your business. I'm going to say that again. People are not an interruption because, you know, people would want to talk to me and they want to do this and they want to do that. He said, that's not an interruption to your business. People are our business. Look at me when I say, we are in the people business. Every church, say it. We are in the people business. Say it. We are in the people business. Again, we are in the people business. Jesus died for people. He loves people. He don't want his enemies to be hurt. And we speak against this discord that comes to our nation or to our families. And we speak unity. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope I helped you. Uh, my notes, I, I should have looked at them because, but I know what's in here. If you want some more of what I was talking about, this book is out there and it's called Answering God's Prayer. I pray that they may be one. And it's a journal that you can go on the journey with me. And I, I, it's, I wrote it in 1999, but disunity is a problem that raises its head ever so often. And there's really only one answer. So we have to keep saying that. We love people. Say it with me. We love people. Say this. City Chapel loves people. And we serve people. Amen.